Hey, everyone. You found the Don't Suck at AI podcast, where you'll hear from AI industry icons about how their companies are producing successful AI solutions that are changing the way we do business today and into the future. So here's your host, John Lindsay. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us on season two of the Don't Suck at AI podcast. Welcome to 2022, everybody. And to kick it off, we've got a data-focused show where we will absolutely be taking a deeper dive into how to use your data to drive change, create insights, develop powerful narratives for corporate vision and leadership, as we're welcoming Brent Dykes, the author of several analytics-focused books, including his latest called Effective Data Storytelling. Brent, it was an awesome book. I loved it. We're going to dive into that for sure. Brent has almost two decades in the analytics space working for and consulting with the likes of Adobe, Microsoft, Sony, Nike, and Amazon, just to mention a few really big names. Brent is a thought leader and award-winning data analytics zealot, and he has been honored to receive the most influential Industry Contributor Award from Digital Analytics Association. Bill, what do we do there? That's an award, right? Got to rock that in. And he is also known for creating the popular PowerPoint blog, PowerPointNinja.com. I looked at that. It's very cool. He's posted hundreds of articles and interesting content pieces out there. So Brent grew up in New Zealand and Canada, and he currently resides with his family in Utah. He is passionate about using data to tell stories. And has put together a system to help others learn that framework is, that he utilizes to create these, these powerful narratives. And in fact, he's got a companion site along with the book where you can actually see examples of how you can utilize those for your own reference and inspiration. So you can see why we wanted to have him on the show. And since he likes us, couldn't be more timely. I've been getting huge feedback from the post out on LinkedIn of the book and said, I read it over the holidays and I can't, Brent, it's been thousands of people have taken a look at it. Really impressive, man. People are digging it. So Brent, today, our goal is to dive into some of the analytics philosophy that you promote and get some sense as to, to how that's produced the successful results that you and your clients over the years, when helping firms create insights from the data they're collecting, what they're using, how they're doing it, how it should be. But before we do that, let's give you a couple of minutes to share with our listeners a few things about you that I might have overlooked. I think you captured a lot of it. I mean, I'm originally from Canada, grew up there, lived in the States many years. My focus in analytics has been on the marketing and digital analytics side. So definitely comfortable with those and also spent some time in BI as well. So that's kind of my background and happy to be here. Happy to talk to your audience. Talk about data storytelling. Awesome, man. Well, we can't wait to dig in. But first, we always do a fun fact on here. And yours is interesting because there were actually three I found. And so first of all, uh, people need to know that right over Prince's head, he's got the Incredible Hulk. He's got Spider-Man. He is a an avid superhero cartoon collector. That is pretty cool. So he's going to tell us a little bit about that. And on the tri side, he is trilingual and his wife is a triathlete. And so pretty interesting fun facts here. So you, I know you Sherpa for her. And since Bill and I are Ironman triathletes also, we know how much work that is. That is an amazing amount of work doing it. It's also an amazing amount of work supporting somebody who does it. My wife can attest to that. So very cool. So what I thought I would have you do since you are trilingual, pick a language. And tell us your favorite superhero characters. And then tell us what you actually said, because, of course, we ain't going to know, right? We, we're not. Oh, so, man. come on, yeah. pick something. Look, you're not going to know, right? Because we're not even going to be able to tell if you got it right, right? Because Bill and I can barely speak okay. English. Uh, El Gusto, um, here's the tricky part. I don't know the names in, in the other languages. That's that's a very specific. Well, you got to make them up, man, because yeah. we're going live here. You got to okay. make them up. El Gusto, um, 
Oming uh, Aranha. And, and here's my challenge. I speak Portuguese and Spanish. And so oh. what I do is I mix them together. And oh. so that's the challenge. So eu gosto de falar uh, português, mas também eu, eu falo espanhol. Uh, I'm going to have a bang time editing this up, aren't I? Yeah. So, so <laughs> what anyways, did you say? I, I, so what do you my, think you said? Yeah, what I think I said. So I was just saying how I, I speak both both the languages, but my favorite superhero would be Spider-Man. So, Spider-Man. All right. Yeah. Well, I just saw that with the, the grandkids and that was a blast. I love that movie. That was good. I like that character too. Yeah. Good stuff. So Brent, let's take a trip back to the early days for you. As you clearly saw something missing between the need to collect data and the ability to share the value that that data could provide for organizations if used properly. I think you referred to it as understanding the language of data. So tell us a little bit about what that is and how you've developed that concept into developing these stories. Obviously, I've spent some time with PowerPoint and, and with the communication side. And as I was working with clients, as working with fellow consultants, I found that a lot of people are struggling to share their insights in an effective manner. And obviously, the problem that that presents is when we can't clearly communicate the insights that we've uncovered through our analysis, it's very difficult for people to then implement or embrace those insights, take action on them. I quickly found a need for data storytelling. I was very comfortable with presenting information, but then as I started to look into the, the whole concept of data storytelling, which some people may think is a buzzword or just jargon, you know, I didn't want it to go there. And that's part of why I wrote my book is that you know, I felt like this is really powerful, like the combination of data, narrative, and visuals coming together to help us explain, to engage the audience, to enlighten them to, to insights in the data. That's really the importance of mastering that language of data and being able to communicate insights in a, in a clear way so that ultimately they can be acted on. Because at the end of the day, you know, I've worked in analytics a long time. I've seen a lot of companies invest a lot of dollars and, and invest in a lot of different systems and tools. And if we're unable to really extract valuable insights from those tools and act on them, how much value are we really generating? You know, uh, analytics becomes a cost function at that point if we're really not using any of the insights that we can get from those systems. That's why I ended up in data storytelling. Your book really strikes a chord with me. I'm an engineer by education, and I've spent many years in industry working with engineers. And their tendency is, uh, well, here's the data. Take a look at it. If uh, you don't agree, you're stupid. <laughs> it speaks for itself, right? It speaks for itself. That's the mistake we often make, that, that when we have some data, it, it clearly communicates to us. We fully understand it. It makes sense to us. But then in those situations, if you look at engineers or analysts or data scientists, I mean, they're, they're all going to see the insights in the numbers, and it's going to be very clear to them. But that's where we trip up. We, we don't realize, well, we're not communicating to our, just ourselves. In most cases, the only way we're going to get an insight implemented is by actually communicating it to others in a way that they can understand and appreciate. Yeah, that is a, a real skill, and uh, you got to work at it, I think. I'm still learning. <laughs> so... Uh... So since you're on the Don't Suck at AI podcast, let's, let's dig a little bit into AI and its role in the whole data narrative. In order for AI and machine learning to be successful, um, data is a necessary fuel, of course. And the more you have, the better you can train the models that we build. So talk about how our data points become the, the building blocks of every data story and how relevance 
and trustworthiness play into this equation? I'm going to break that up into two responses. First, when we have an insight, at the core of every data story, we should have an insight, not just observations, but actual insights. And I define an insight as something more than just something interesting in the data. I like a definition that was shared with me by an author by the name of Gary Klein. And he's a psychologist and he wrote a few books, but he talked about an insight being an unexpected shift in the way we understand things. And for me, that really encapsulated what an insight really is. And so definitely when we have key data points or insights that we want to share, those are going to be the building blocks of a data story. Now, if we look at the relevance and the trustworthiness of the data, that's really essential to any good data story, because at the end of the day, If we don't trust the data, it doesn't matter how eloquent or beautiful a story I build, but if people know the underlying data is not trustworthy, that story will go nowhere. People will say, oh, that's that's nice, Brent. That's that's a cool graph you've created or a nice narrative you put together, but we know that that data is, we can't trust it. It's garbage. And so we always need to have trustworthy data as a key element of our data stories. And in addition to that, we need to have relevant data because ultimately when we're telling stories with our insights, if I have an insight that nobody cares about because it's not relevant to their role or their needs or their priorities, how far is that data story going to go? It's probably not going to go that far either. So if I am focused on relevant, important data that it's tied to the business objectives, tied to the business goals of that organization, and I'm telling a story using that relevant data, I'm going to have a captive audience because I'm talking about priorities, objectives, goals that that the audience is trying to achieve, and I have information that can help them. That's great, Brennan. Actually, that kind of dovetails into our next question, which is really a a quote that you you used in the book, and I'm I'm probably going to butcher the name. Is it Abu Baker? Is that correct? Uh, says that without knowledge, action is useless and knowledge without action is futile. And you share this as a preface to talk about actionable insights. So dovetailing on what we were just talking about with Bill there on some of the things that go in in terms of the key insights. This is a question about, you know, how do you determine if that insight merits becoming the basis of a data story and what that means to your audience? I mean, somewhere in there is that grounding feature that says, this is what I'm going to build on. How do you come up with that? And actually, this Brent, this is actually a real life example for us right now, because Bill and I are going through a scenario right now attempting to do this. So not only do I want this answer for the podcast, I want this answer because as soon as you tell me the answer, I'm going to get something done in my job. Well, that's good. It's, it's, it's good to hear you're, you're finally getting around to getting something done. So <laughs> no. No, I know you're busy. Nice. Um, no, I think... With a data story and with the actionable insight, I think we use that term actionable insights a lot. And I think part of the problem that I think this is kind of a recent thing, epiphany that I've had, is that I think we use the term insights very loosely, almost too loosely. And we use it with observations. And let me give you an example of what an observation might be, where you would say, oh, look at our sales. They're up 53% in this one week. And we say, oh, that's an insight. And the problem with that is it's not really an insight, it's an observation. And with observations, observations are the spark or the igniter or the impetus to explore the data and really understand, well, what contributed to that 53% increase in sales? We know the what, but we don't know the why. And so observations are great. We need observations, but 
we can't stop with our observation. We can't build data stories around observations because they do not get into the why. And I think when we, you know, going back to that, that definition that I shared, an unexpected shift in the way we understand things. So if I have an unexpected shift, so let's go back with that, that 53% increase in, in sales in that one week. What drove that? Oh, okay. We had a special offer, a promotion to a, a customer segment that we targeted that week. And that's what sparked that 53% increase in sales. And now we're going, oh, wow. We didn't know that they would respond to that kind of promotion that way. We had no idea that marketing campaign would be that successful. Our, our expectations you know, have been shifted. We're like, oh, wow, that is something that is really powerful or potent with that. Now, how can we, at that point, because we have this shift in our understanding, we're like, oh my gosh, like, what do we do with this? How can we leverage this, this insight in other ways? Are there other promotions that we can run for that customer segment? Or was it the offer maybe that we could extend to other customer segments, you know? And so it's, I think naturally when you find a real insight, it will spark action. Whereas if you just have an observation, that's just the what and not the why, I think that's why people you know, struggle with the, you know, I'm not getting actionable insights. It's because you're getting a bunch of observations and you're not getting true insights. So it requires a, a lot of deeper thinking at a higher level. So uh, John and I run a, a technology company where digital twins and visualization models and data collection software is a huge part of what we do. And we utilize these software and technology tools to help companies collect, manage, and utilize data that they're collecting. <laughs> They've got gobs of data. And the reason that our clients need these tools are for the ultimate step, which is to let the data and the insights gleaned from it guide the business strategy. So just curious, you, you consult with many very large tech-savvy organizations. Do you find most of them are proficient at leveraging and maximizing the use of the data that they collect today? I wish I could have a better answer for you, but I would say <laughs> no. It's surprising. I've been fortunate to work with a number of Fortune 1,000, Fortune 500 companies, and I've seen the struggles that they have. And when I first joined, I got my first analytics job. We were doing some work for a large automotive manufacturer. I was surprised at some of the work that they were having us do. We're working through an agency and, and actually part of it was producing a lot of reports or dashboards for them and kind of updating them and getting them ready. And, and I looked at their dashboards and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is not actionable information. This is not helpful to them. And so I did redo the dashboard as they asked, but then I did another version where I actually redesigned it in a way that I felt would give them more insights, more observations that they can pull from the data. And when I shared it with the agency, that was kind of the middleman, they said, yeah, that's nice. That's good. We're not going to show that to the client. They, mm. they just they just want it the way they want it. And I've seen that. I think I think a lot of large organizations, because they are collecting so much data, sometimes for a lot of my career, I felt like data was an afterthought. You know, nobody really put thought in before a campaign or a program was implemented or a product was launched, they would kind of say, oh, we need to get some data. We need to capture some things. And it was kind of a rush at the end of the process. And so what happened is because you're not 
building that in at the beginning of, of the whole deployment, there's a lot of gaps that you would get, or there'd be mistakes in how things are tracked or captured. And then the data was useless. And I saw large organizations that were basically operating blind. Like you would be shocked at the companies that were basically, they didn't trust their data. It was garbage. And they were just making decisions purely based on gut. You know, and, and that's probably comfortable for many managers and people out there, but to think that these are publicly traded companies that are operating this way, in my mind, is irresponsible. So having said that, there are some stars out there. There are some people that are doing, have figured this out and, and lead really good teams. And I've, I've been impressed by those organizations as well. But if you're a smaller organization and you think, you know, we're struggling with data, I can probably say to you that, yeah, you have large organizations that are equally taxed and struggling with this whole, how do I wrangle the data? How do I get meaningful insights from it? How do I use it to drive our business? And they haven't figured it out yet. There are probably stars at every level. I've seen you know really smart, small businesses leveraging data in really powerful ways and, and up to the enterprises as well. I would say the vast majority of people are, or companies are struggling still to kind of find their way figure out how to take advantage of all this data and drive value with it. A focus of ours uh, is with law firms and legal departments, and they're just getting involved now with legal tech software point solutions. They're going to have zettabytes of data. They're going to need to be able to tell the data story. So I would encourage all of them to read your book to get some really good wisdom on that whole issue because there's tremendous opportunities that are just there to be harvested. Yeah, absolutely. Bill, I was going to say the same thing. There's a lot of companies, obviously, that need to read Brent's book, and, and we're not immune. I mean, look, we're data guys. We do this for a living. And when I read your book over Christmas holidays, it struck me and I said, wow, we can do better. We can absolutely start leveraging some of the process that Brent uses to hone in on more captivating, more engaging stories that make our data more powerful and give us influence that we don't have if we don't utilize the story. So I, I love that. I think it's phenomenal. And so we're going to recommend everybody goes and uh, and buys it and reads it for sure, because it's really beneficial. Brett, we're coming to the last piece of this. And so how we typically wrap up is we want you to take a look into the future and, and pull out that crystal ball. And you're, look, you're a, you're a Marvel superhero guy. So who who does that? I watched, I just watched Spider-Man, right? Dr. Strange, right? He's got control over all the, the different time continuums, right? He can look out there in the future. He can change and he can see what's going to happen. So so put that Dr. Strange hat on and, and tell us what, what's going to happen over the next 12 to 18 months in this space, man. What's man, that's, that's a heck of a predictive model you're asking me to. You see that? That's Dr. right. Strange I shouldn't have saw that movie. Model. Yeah. <laughs> I got high. And, and I want you to do it with the same kind of special effects I saw in the movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can do that. But yeah, so I think that obviously AI and, and machine learning, you know, they're definitely going to play a bigger role in, in analytics going forward. I see a lot of strength for them in some of those early stages of how we collect the data, how we prepare the data, how we visualize the data. Because a lot of the times we have a lot of labor intensive kind of tasks that are required of analysts and data scientists and, and those who work in the data side. And a lot of times, you know, one of the strengths of a, a robot or a machine is that they can do repetitive tasks very quickly in across large volumes of data. And so I see that being a capability that basically technology can augment our ability as analysts or as 
data professionals or analytics professionals to partner with those those technologies, use them, leverage them. You know, it could even be to the point where they can spot anomalies in the data and help us to quickly go through volumes and volumes of data to really suss out something that's that's interesting or unusual. But I am also a skeptic on some sense. I know that there's people saying, oh, we can have machines telling stories and building out the narrative. And, and I, I'm a little bit more skeptical on that front in the sense that I think human beings still have a role to play. Now, we can be augmented through the technology. We can leverage the technology as much as we can because ultimately that's going to free up us our time to focus on more strategic and important areas or leverage the natural capabilities that we have as humans to connect the dots and, and to weave a, a narrative. And so, you know, I do see that combination of, of technology and human beings working together. Now, another trend that I think will continue is data literacy. I think that's a challenge for a lot of organizations where they bought the technology, they have the stack of analytics tools, but only the analysts and the analytics professionals are really taking advantage of them. And, and maybe the business people, the business teams are not fully leveraging the technology like they could. So part of that challenge, I think, goes back to data literacy and just making sure that people feel comfortable working with data, that they understand it, interpret it the right way. You know, data storytelling has a, has a role on the communication side to kind of advance data literacy, because obviously, you know, we read stories to our children when they're young, you know, to get them interested in reading and and learning and growing. And, and the same thing applies to the data stories. I think that's going to spark people's interest in the data, get them curious. And then eventually they'll be in a position to tell their own stories from the, the tools that they're getting their insights from. Great summary, Brent. Great summary. And as we bring this thing home, I'm sitting there looking at the cover of your book. First of all, you know, this is a time in, the, in our show where we typically point out a few things that absolutely don't suck. And I got to tell you, this book, Phenomenal book. And so we will absolutely recommend people go out and read this. To your point, if you're trying to tell the story as a leader of your organization and you're going through any types of transformation, whether it be just you know the process change, whether it be digital transformation, whatever it is, engaging your team in what is in it for them and why it's important to your business in a story that doesn't scare them, that embraces them and carries them along and gets them excited and fired up. This book gives them tips on how to do it. I would recommend that every leader out there reads this book. That absolutely doesn't suck. I would say that, you know, from Bill and I's perspective, I mean, we're learning a ton. I mean, learning how to differentiate just between what you described today, an observation and an insight. I don't know before I read this book that I would have even known that. That Absolutely does not suck. And then, you know, the differentiation of making certain that we're including the what and the why, right? You can't just look at one or the other. It's not the whole story. You're pulling it together for the narrative and helping us kind of arrive at, you know, how do we build the basis for that story, making sure that it is inclusive of everything it requires to be. That absolutely doesn't suck. So do me a favor. Tell our listeners, because I know they're going to want to know several things. They're going to want to know where they can buy the book. So we'll certainly put a link down there for them so they can do that. We're also going to want to share with them how they can follow you. Where do they find you out there? Yeah, there's a couple of places. So LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So if, you, if you're if you into uh, this topic, you want to communicate better, you want to learn how to tell data stories, you know, I'm constantly sharing tips on LinkedIn. Also, another great place to go is my website for my book. So EffectiveDataStorytelling.com. There I link to a lot of the articles that I publish on Forbes and other places, blog posts and New content will all go there. So definitely, uh, those are the two best places to find me. And also on, on Twitter, I'm at Analytics Hero. Uh, you, can, you can follow me there as well. 
Oh, that's right. I forgot that name. That is awesome. Analytics hero. Well done. Well, listen, we can't thank you enough for coming on and joining us. I think the family of Don't Suck listeners are going to enjoy this one thoroughly, no doubt in my mind. At some point, you're telling a story, and I, I think of this, and I kind of correlate it to, to music and song. And as you know, we do some pretty silly things out there with music. We may have to rope you into one of these, because I can't wait to see what kind of story you can turn into lyrics that you, Bill, and I can maybe do a little trio on for some music down the road here. So, Bill, what would you add to this episode? This has been phenomenal. I've learned so much. You have, too. I feel like we already know Brent because we had a chance to meet with him earlier before this, as well as read his book. But you know, what would you share with people as we close this up? I think Brent is a data storytelling superhero. There should be a comic <laughs> book. Seriously, uh, I have benefited tremendously by uh, reading your book. And my keen interest is in applying it in the area of uh, business development, because uh, to capture uh, people's interest and develop new business, uh, you got to tell good stories. So I want to apply your wisdom in that arena. So thanks for being on the podcast with us, Brent. It's been a pleasure to meet you and talk with you. Yeah, we really appreciate it, Brent. Look, so we'll close this story up and the first season of uh, episode two in, in 2022. And we will say, Brent, you're sitting in Utah, right? Yes. All right. Well, let, why don't you close this up, man? We close this up typically by by telling our storyteller that uh, it's time to say, that's a wrap, baby. So take us away, man. That's a wrap, baby. There you go. And we are done, my friend. Appreciate it.